Hello, Patriots, Freedom Fighters, throughout Saskatchewan, across the country, and around the world. Good evening, Cheryl, Rhea, Patriot Kaz, Joe Woods, Mary Wall, Jane Slack, Peggy Larson, Catherine Bassett-Rose. Good to see you all. Share this out. Do me a favor. Let's bust through that shadow banning I'm still on. Uh, so we're coming to you at uh, Canada First, Mark Friesen, Mark Friesen Saskatoon Brasswood, and Mark Friesen Buffalo Party on Facebook. <clears throat> we're also on YouTube, we're also on Twitter, we're also on DLive, and we're also on Rumble. Hello, survivalist landsman. Randy, Irma, Kate, Guitar Flame, Mosh Pit, Leo the Lion Truth Seeker. Wayne J, Mosh Pit. Good to see y'all. So we got a an interesting show tonight. Um, I'm hoping my guest shows up here fairly soon. Um, I'll just send them a quick message. Uh, so yeah, Dallin is going to join us. Oh, there he is. He's in the, he's in the green room now as we speak. Um, yeah, let's bring him in. He's got some interesting developments. How are you, Dallin? Good, good, Mark. How are you tonight? The grain bag guy. Yes. I am good. You know, I'm good tonight. It's sticking. I uh, go out in public, and that's what I get called, so I figured why not create the hashtag. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. I'm just uh, pulling a couple of these links together that we're going to talk about. Perfect. Right on. Uh, yeah. I, uh, you know, I'm trying to prepare for an upcoming trial, and trying to understand what is happening right now right and uh yeah, yeah it was quite interesting be, what it, you seem to be putting together the uh the dots quite well actually um it, it's kind of nice when you know things sort of fall into place the puzzle pieces come together <coughs> and and wh what the root problem is with all of this that's right you know it's I recognize what's happening, but I don't understand it. And when you have to live this fight, 
and put those pieces together, it, it begins to make sense. Right. There we go. I had an echo on my end. Now it's gone, so. Yeah, that's uh, usually the case. Yeah. Uh, Peggy says hello. Good to see you, Dallin. Peggy Larson. Right on, Peggy. Good to, good to have her on here, so. So, uh, yeah, some interesting uh, links that you sent me. And, of course, being as vested in this fight as you are, of course, it's going to lead you down some paths. It's going to, you know, some things are going to be exposed along the way because you are heavily invested in this. You are, this is, this is your livelihood. This is your, maybe we can call it a dream. Um you know, to, to, to build this thing. And so, you know, preparing for court and, and researching all of this, you're going to, you're going to expose some things. You're going to come across some things. And I think that's, what's important here is for, for one, the farming community, the agriculture industry to realize that they really don't have a voice either. You know, that it boils down to this and they need to start understanding why, and why these things are happening on the farm. Uh, and it could all be, well, it can be clear and it could be concise and, and, and we can understand by looking and researching on and what's happening, um, it begins to make sense. And I, I would like to be that person that starts to share this and create that conversation in the agriculture community. 100%, it, it's, uh, it's incredibly important especially in Saskatchewan, it's incredibly important to expose what our government is doing and what they're committed to and who they're committed to um, and, and, and to what consequence and, and who's benefiting and who's, you know, not benefiting. Uh, it's important to point these things out and we're going to point out a few of those things tonight uh, based on some of the things that you found. Uh, so I'm going to start with one link here that, uh, that, that you had sent me and it's important to, I think, to understand, um, what this is all relative to. So the FAO, which is food and agriculture organizations within the UN. So anytime you see FAO that's that's un and i just want to read this a little bit the united nations food and agriculture organization fao is mandated to promote sustainable food and agriculture policies around the world I, i'm wondering who they get their mandate from uh, fao has signed a letter of intent to formalize a partnership with crop life international <laughs> Crop Life is the global trade association representing all of the largest agrochemical pesticide and seed companies. Such an alliance is dangerous for the future of our global food systems. Um, <clears throat> join the global campaign in demanding that FAO stop its alliance with Crop Life. So this is, this is interesting. This is an interesting little piece. The use of toxic pesticides is a global threat to human health and the environment. Pesticides pollute the food that we eat, the water we drink, 
and the air we breathe. It is a major driving factor in the unprecedented collapse of insect populations and biodiversity loss. Each year, 385 million farmers and farm workers suffer from acute pesticide poisoning. Small-scale farmers, food producers, agriculture workers, and food sovereignty activists are working to change the way we produce food so that it doesn't harm people, living beings, and the planet. These efforts are now under threat. In October of 2020, FAO and CropLife International announced a formal partnership. Uh, CropLife actually called this a strategic alliance. Uh, any comments on that to this point, Alan? That's, that's, there's some, there's loud, some loud feedback, feedback coming up. <laughs> One second, One second here, here, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, that's better. That's better. Hey, can you hey, hear, can me, you hear right me all right there? there? Yeah. Got you good. Perfect. Perfect. I'm just going to get, rid of, get rid of this. Sure. Um, um, very, inter- very, inter- very interesting. Very interesting. Um, I know, I know I've, mentioned I've mentioned a lot about CropLife, crop life Canada. Canada. And, and uh, CropLife crop life International is mentioned, mentioned here. here. Now, they're, they're the, the main organization. organization. And then you, and then have, you have several, several members, members across, across different, different countries, countries that have their own branch of crop life. So this is all um, very much connected. Yes, 100% it is. And I'm going to get a little closer into that. Uh, there are some people that say we've got some echo, but I think I fixed the echoing problem. Uh, let me know if you guys hear that echo anymore. Uh, just give me a heads up. I muted the the page and that's what causes some of the echo at sometimes but it should be gone now we should be good echo gone yeah okay all right so um so it's uh i can't say that i align a lot of times with greenpeace but uh i find it (coughs) i find it interesting uh what they're what they're bringing up here and i think it's important that we uh that we understand their perspective in this because it's definitely relative uh, to what you're doing and relative to the rest of us when we're talking about food production and distribution and transportation and all these things. So the UN is in bed with corporate multinationals that put profits over people. Well, we know that to be true. In early October, the UN (coughs) Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO, announced a shocking agreement with CropLife International, the global lobby group for corporations that manufacture, sell, and promote mainly pesticides and genetically engineered seeds. Some of the members of CropLife International are Bayer, Monsanto, BASF, Syngenta, among others. This is why Greenpeace International joined with 350 other organizations across the world to denounce this agreement. This agreement's objective is to work together to find new ways to transform agri-food systems and promote rural development through on-the-ground investment and innovation, as stated in the FAO press release. Unfortunately, we should be very worried about FAO getting involved with corporations, such as the pesticide companies that are trying to market these climate solutions. So, that's an interesting statement to make, and they're 100% correct, because what we're seeing, you know, f- because the UN is so uh, 
focused on achieving the goals of sustainable development that what they've done now is they've partnered with these multinationals and they've made enormous promises to these multinationals that these multinationals are going to record record profits. That's that's how they get them through coercion and bribery and and uh, corruption. That's how these these multinationals are promised this. And so when the UN, this this global governance entity, uh, approaches one of these multinationals, that's the deal that's always struck. So it's uh, it's interesting, and it's going to fall in line with what Dallin uh, is up against here, uh, and we're going to show you that here in a minute. Uh, and have consolidated their dominance on the seeds and crop sectors around the world. Mega mergers like Bayer buying Monsanto. This agreement is truly disturbing because it allows more power to a very few large agriculture and food multinational corporations, which exist primarily to make rather than investing in strong localized food systems that can provide nutritious food to all while respecting ecological boundaries. FAO press release further states that the agreement intends to reinforce the common goal shared by FAO and CropLife International to build sustainable food systems, boost farmer resilience to climate change, and address zero hunger. <laughs> uh, this it, it just it, it's so humorous, Dallin, because so much of what they're proposing eats itself uh, when this this idea that they want to promote. Uh, ending hunger when they're actually in the process of shutting down all of the farms in the Netherlands uh, because of climate change. It, it, the, the impact that that's going to have on feeding the world and ending hunger is phenomenal. It's only going to increase starvation and famine around the world. Um, and this is this is how all of these policies eat eat itself, just like every good communist manifesto um, generally does. Well, what we got to realize what's happening in the Netherlands, it's going to be happening here. It's the same set of rules that's being placed, and and, and unfortunately, they're they're feeling those effects now. Uh, we're not there yet, but we're going to be if 100%. we don't pay attention to this 100%. stuff. That's ex it's exactly where we're going, and this is why, you know. What, what you're up against is, is going to expose our government's relationship to these multinationals who are partnered with the UN to achieve the goals of sustainable development. And so, you know, you're in this fight and, and, and this is what, what you happen to have uncovered. And, and it's, uh, it's interesting. So I'm going to carry on here. Uh, does the FAO truly believe that the mission of the corporations involved with COP Crop Live International is to boost farmer resilience to climate change and address zero hunger. At best, this is naive and at worst misleading. Well, it is. It is misleading. It's exactly why they do it. It's exactly why they say it. The main mission of these corporations is to gain financial returns for the shareholders, not to feed people. Hundred percent. That's exactly what this is all about. There is already too much corporate control over farming. By signing this agreement, the FAO is giving these big agriculture corporations renewed legitimacy and a free license to further access and control global food systems. This recent FAO CropLife International Agreement sends the wrong message about the direction the world should move towards. 
food and greater food justice. This is somewhat surprising as other parts of the FAO have finally recognized that ecological farming, agroecology, food sovereignty, and the people's right to food are now modus operandi. They should know better than to cozy up to agriculture corporate giants who are the promoters of the industrial food system, the source of so many environmental and health problems. 100%. Back in 2009, a science-based multinational effort by international assessment of agriculture knowledge, science and technology for development generated a blueprint for a better food system with many practical policy suggestions for governments and agencies like FAO. For more than 10 years and in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, IAASTD recommendations are still largely ignored despite their relevancy and urgency for implementation. We know what to do, we're just not acting on what we know. Previously, Greenpeace International has outlined what could be the principles for ecological farming. In many parts of the world, such as India and Kenya, for example, Greenpeace organizations have taken part in farming and food movements and will continue so. I can only hope the FAO, its council, and funders will soon wake up and join the wider movement for agroecology and choose real people solutions over fake promises of big agriculture corporations. FAO, <coughs> please walk the talk on agroecology and don't side with those who want to make a quick profit at our expense and the expense of a healthy planet. But this is it. This is how they function. This is how they do business. This is how they're going to achieve the goals of sustainable development is they partner with these multinationals. They promise these multinationals record profits. And this is how these multinationals will then push this on the rest of us. I, you know, it's this, it's this uh, devil in the details. So another interesting thing is, is from the United Nations, FAO and CropLife International, Strengthen commitment to promote agri-food systems transformation. Um, and, and so, you know, here you are. I'm not going to read through this whole document, um, but there's the relationship between the UN and Crop Life International. And who is Crop Life International, Dallin? <laughs> Don't you guys want to see this? <laughs> So, uh, Crop Life International, um, given tightening natural resource constraints, raising the productivity of existing natural resources rather than bring new resources into production, is necessary to meet the food security needs of current and future generations. So, they're a big player, obviously, putting sustainability into practice. Uh, they're a big player on the global scene and... Uh, Funny enough, the company that Dallin is essentially his fight is against because of the relationship our Saskatchewan government has with Clean Farms is owned by CropLife. Isn't that interesting? Do you look at that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, it's quite revealing, and I hope I hope a lot of people are going to get to see this, because people again they need to understand who our government, the Sask Party, in this province is in bed with, and 
whose goals are they trying to achieve? Are they trying to achieve the goals of farmers in Saskatchewan um, to the to the best interest of our farmers and ranchers and food producers in this province? Or are they promoting and trying to achieve the goals of an unelected, unaccountable foreign entity that's partnered with these multinational organizations like CropLife, who owns clean farms, who the, the province pays annually to create these, uh, these drop-off centers where farmers have to drive upwards of 200 kilometers to dump their, their, their grain bags uh, to be recycled. So naturally, um, most farmers aren't going to want to spend that kind of money to get to these places. And guess what? A local farmer by the name of Dallin Lager uh, had the solution to all of this. Dallin was actually going to drive around and pick up all of these grain bags and recycle them while building a plant close to Yorkton um, that could have employed a lot of people from this province. Rather than that, the Saskatchewan government fined him $365 million, uh, a, dollar, uh, a million a day, I guess, uh, and, and up to three years in jail if he doesn't stop offering a solution to local farmers in his area. Um, so, so who's the Saskatchewan government working for here? Are they working for the UN? Are they working for these multinationals that have partnered with the UN to achieve the goals of sustainable development? That's what it looks like to me. What about you, Dallin? That's exactly what it looks like. And it makes sense as to why there was never a conversation between me and any elected official here in Saskatchewan, because the plan is in place. It is in action. And there's nothing that they're going to do about it because it goes against the agenda that they have contributed to, they have committed to. And it goes to show you that I'm the walking, talking proof of what's to come once these programs fully come into effect. I was in operation before this happened. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It is this is how it's going to happen because we're trying to meet these sustainable goals and and bye bye small business and and bye bye farmer, it's... and that's and that's exactly where we're headed. We're headed to this this area of multinational corporations and food producers that are going to be taking over the family farm. You know everything that Scott Moe and the Sask Party is doing is is in commitment and benefiting multinational corporations and the UN agenda, Agenda Twenty Thirty at the expense and detriment of our local farmers and ranchers. Uh, it's, it's just, <sighs> there's a lot I'd like to say that I probably shouldn't, but, but I'll just say this. Um, our government is, should not be in the business of enriching multinationals through their partnership with the UN an unelected unaccountable foreign entity. Our, government in Saskatchewan should be making decisions that's in the best interest of our people of the province, yourself and included. This, and this highlights that, you know, there was a solution that represented the farmers and their needs. And, 
and, and keep money out of this, if, if you look at the principle of what I was doing, it, it, it met those goals, if you really want to say it that way. It achieved the same thing. But I'm still not, I'm not allowed to operate. I'm not allowed to do this. I don't fit in the little box. And that's the, that's the terrifying thing. 100% because our government has committed to, obviously, their loyalty rests with these multinational corporations <coughs> that don't have the best interests in, in our country or in our province or the people of the province. Their interest, of course, is record profits, which is, which is why there is so much corruption right now in the world because of all of these deals and all of these promises that are been given have been given to multinationals to oligarchs to, to monopolies and big tech and so on um, again Scott Moe likes to run around the province telling everybody how wonderful everybody's doing in the province um, he's extremely out of touch there's a lot of people that are struggling right now in the province but it's it's all of these partnerships that seem to be doing so well that's who's doing very well in this economy that they've created and it's only going to get worse there's more of a target going to be put on our farmers and our entrepreneurs and small business owners it's 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 just it's shaping up for a, a real disaster and we can hold our Saskatchewan government responsible for what for the path they're taking us down no question about it no question no and that's how I feel and and I I'm not a very educated person I am not downplaying myself but if, if I can find this stuff it's it's there in front of all of us um, we're being lied to, we're being misled. And, and as we're being told one narrative, this is all going on in the background and has been for years. Yeah. So it, it's not as simple to say, oops, I made a mistake on the government side of things. Let's work on this. No, this has been in, in effect for years now. It's not easy for them to walk away because of those commitments that they've made to these global foreign entities, right? 100%. That's exactly what it is. And, and so, uh, you know, being in this arena for as long as I have, I appreciate people like you that, that bring me this information and, and show us uh, these connections because it's important. I'm not a farmer, so I'm not exposed to, you know, these particular uh, elements of this. And, and so it's important that people like you who have a vested interest um, actually do speak up and, and bring this to to the attention of of as many people as possible uh it's it's an important part of the process well and see what i'm learning when you look at crop life and these companies that are members of them and what they're doing these companies are supposed to represent our farmers you know these farmers pay off pay uh percentages to these companies and products to to have that representation at the table and they're it's not happening and farmers need to understand that these huge companies are, are not their friends. And, and, and some are aware of that, but it needs to be a conversation. Yeah. So here's, uh, I don't know how to say her name, Julia Di Tommaso, Di, Di Tommaso has over 20 years of global experience in Legal and public affairs on a wide range of business issues based mainly in Brussels, London, Africa, and Italy. 
She has been over a decade with Unilever in a variety of roles leading legal and corporate affairs, communications, teams, and antitrust and competition law, IPR, trade, regulatory, marketing, digital policy, sustainability, CSR compliance, and human rights, <coughs> as well as driving global strategy and business participation uh, at the World Economic Forum, Investment Climate Facility for Africa, EU Africa Summit, uh, the Southern Corridor of Tanzania, as well as the Transatlantic Business Dialogue, including EU-US... So this, this person is, is ex extremely globalist in, in everything she does. Uh, she's led negotiating... She's led the negotiations culminating in international agreement on sustainable sourcing from smallholders, smallholders, farmers between Unilever and International Fund for Agriculture... And this is one of the people that that uh, are associated with crop life. She's she's one of the people that works for crop life. Um, so letter of intent from crop life, and this is the agreement between the FAO, uh, Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, and crop life. And this is this is who our Saskatchewan government has partnered with to provide grain bag recycling in the province. Uh, Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations and CropLife International, Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, herein referred to as FAO and CropLife International, hereafter referred to as CLI, jointly referred to as the parties, considering the FAO is a specialized agency of the United Nations system established in 1945 to raise levels of nutrition and standards of living for all people in FAO member nations, to, except for Western civilization, except for the, the first world, <coughs> that were the target. That, that's where they're getting all the wealth to redistribute around the world to make all of these lofty goals come to fruition by destroying our first world and turning us into second and third world. Um, and it's coming. Established in 45 to raise yeah, uh, people and member nation to secure improvements to the efficiency and production and distribution of food and agriculture products to contribute towards expanding world economy and ensure humanity, humanity's freedom from hunger. <coughs> so this is a really good example as to how this works. Um, again, it's, it's, it's cookie cutter policy that they're trying to achieve that has no real serious application in this province or in this country, yet we're committing and giving our loyalty and our tax dollars to these foreign entities that have no responsibility to our nation, to the people of this nation, or to people like Dallin, who, who literally had the solution, a solution that, that worked, that was local, um, and now all of a sudden, because we're teamed up and partnered up with, with this multinational organization, farmers aren't driving their grain bags to these drop-off centers that are 200 kilometers away. Instead, what they're doing is probably burying the plastic and you know, ordering new plastic. So it's not being recycled. It's not being turned into pellets where they can be re remolded into more grain bags. It's actually uh, not going anywhere. 
And, and you know, of course, why would farmers want to take dollars out of their pockets to have to deliver this 200 kilometers away? Yeah, that's exactly it. Flagging me, Thrill Kisser says, I have no solution. Yes, I do have a solution. I absolutely do have a solution. And we need, as a people of Saskatchewan, we need to relieve the Sask Party of their responsibility in running this province. And we have to put it in the hands of somebody that actually cares about the people of Saskatchewan. That's what we need to do. That's the solution. As far as I'm concerned, this is total proof to show what Scott Moe and our SAS party is doing and where they lie. Uh, you know, it, this shows it to you, and we need to start paying attention to these, these things. Absolutely, we do. 100% we do. And, and, and unfortunately, we haven't. <coughs> for, for quite some time, we've sort of assumed that Scott Moe and his SASC party were looking after our best interests, but um, they haven't been. And, and this, is the, this is one thing that I've been trying to raise awareness about is that the government and the people that we have sort of, you know, abdicated our responsibility to, uh, thinking they had our best interests at heart, they actually don't. And, and, and I don't know all of the inside information as to why they're making decisions like this, but I would assume that there is some coercion, there is maybe some extortion, maybe some bribery involved in, in our government and some of our ministers, uh, cabinet ministers, um, making deals that they shouldn't be making because it's not in the best interest of the people of Saskatchewan, I can tell you that. That's right. That's right. Are you, uh, are you bringing up the director of the FAO as well? He was signed uh, on that agreement there. Hang on a sec. I don't know what you've got planned here, so I don't want to go in for any of No, so. no. No, no, it's fine. Uh, is this what you were talking about? No, it was another screenshot of the fellow, uh, the Chinese fellow there. Oh, hang on a sec. I may not. I may have missed that one. Let me just go quick. Have a look, quick look here. You know, you had showed uh, Juliana, whatever her name is. There, she was one of the signatures on that letter of intent to uh, represented crop life. International and the other fellow from FAO, um, the other signature on that letter of intent. I find that one fairly interesting, and I think people need to realize uh, where this direction is, that, is coming from. Is that the one from the World Economic Forum, or no? Uh, no, that was. Uh, I got my computer here beside me. Let's see. I'm just scrolling through our our uh, chat here, and I don't. Okay, there. I think I found it. Yep, I got it. Yep. Yeah, there it is. Is that... Yeah, I think that's the one I brought up earlier. Uh, it was a, a screenshot from Google with the guy's name Q Dong Dongya. Is that it? Is that the one? No, no. Yeah, Q Dong Dongya, FAO Director General, and Julia D. Thomas... Tommaso, President and CEO of CropLife International, signed a letter of intent to explore new partnerships between the UN agency and the private sector. Yeah, and I guess I just wanted to touch on who this Ku Dungya guy is, and it's uh, yeah. just reading from my laptop here. A Chinese diplomat who took up office as the ninth director general 
of the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. So it's just where this direction is coming from as, as uh, yes. you know, a foreign entity, the Chinese that are influencing our provincial leaders into policy. <sighs> That's what's happening here. Yeah. This is this is not, you know, when I first started this, I in my mind I thought, well, government just doesn't want to talk to this young guy. He doesn't want to give me a chance, but this is much deeper than much that. Much deeper. Oh, absolutely it is. <coughs> so, um again, this is the problem when we're we're literally due to success of federal governments committing to the UN agenda. And then our federal government's creating law that makes this binding in our country. Um, you know, it, it puts a lot of pressure on our provincial um, uh, premiers and, and governments um, to, to have to do these things. And, and so, um, you know, some of that responsibility has to lie with the federal governments as well that have committed to all of this. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we can't we can't let them get away scot free either. Um, but at the end of the day, all of this boils down to a enormous global bureaucracy creating cookie cutter policies through their private public partnerships of multinationals and so on. Um, and, and our government seeding uh, itself to this agenda and, and two multinationals that are then dictating policy in our own province. It's mind-blowing. It's, it's absolutely crazy to, to be able to put those dots together here and, and to show that it's affecting everything, such yeah. as grain bags on a farm that the farmer wants to get rid of. Right. These policies are affecting every little aspect of our lives. And this is just... Uh, I'm sure other people have been affected before, but I think this is a case of we are really exposing the reality of what's to come. Hundred percent, absolutely. Uh, <coughs> and 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 this is a really good example of how this all works and how you know these these people shake hands with with our our provincial leaders and weed people like you out of the equation through you know, fines through possible jail time um, and, and all of these threats that you, I mean, all you did was solve a problem. And, and you're a local guy that we should be supporting in all of this. Uh, it's just, it, it just brings reality to, to all of what's, what's coming down the pipe. And what scares me is, again, I thought this fight was initially with clean farms, but it, it's not. It's with crop life. And then it, it goes beyond that. So I don't even know who I'm fighting against anymore, you know, and the powers to be here. Um, that's the scary thing now. It's it's <laughs> the big fight. It is. It is a big fight. And uh, and and. and it's going to be very interesting after exposing some of this, uh, how your case proceeds. Where are we at with this case? Um, I've kind of left a lot of the court stuff quiet just because I don't know 
what I should be saying and not yeah. saying, right? Fair enough. I've been focused on sharing my story a lot. Um, I can say that I've been speaking to Brendan Miller quite often here the last few days. Uh, we are moving forward uh, with something. I just don't know if I have permission to say what we're doing yet to give that information to the Crown. But things are good. Things are moving forward. I go back for another court date, uh, not this Monday, but next. Okay. And, uh, and we'll see what happens from there. But very much still living the court date schedule of living so, my life. How yeah? Have you given this information to your lawyer? Have not you had yet. This discussion? Okay. Not yet. Might I not spoke a, with him today, but uh, might not be a bad idea. Yeah. yeah no, I just uh, I just want people to understand it, and I'm learning as well, and that's okay to say that and to come on and do these lives and. You know, Mark, when I talked to you, I said, you know this stuff. We just yeah. need to get this out there, and I need the opportunity as well to learn. And and, and that's what this is all about. Um, we're all learning together, yeah. and I hope that together we have a chance at pushing back against these type of policies. Yeah, and as Scott Mo, you know, you've questioned him before, asking what his relationship is to this stuff, and you never get an answer. And, and we see the answer. It's, it's clear as day, and... And I hope people will just start to accept that. Well, and, and I mean, you're playing a role in that and you're helping bring reality to, you know, an issue that a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around and, and understanding how it's being applied to our province, how it's how all of this stuff works. And this is a really good example to show how all of this stuff works and, and how it it you know the, the puzzle pieces fit together quite well in this scenario so <clears throat> this is it this is this is the example that we can use of how you know again uh, our government has essentially sold out the people of Saskatchewan in favor of multinational corporations that have a much bigger agenda being attached to the UN sustainable development agenda um, and and you know a, a number of their goals that fit in with with food and food production and, and growing and farming and ranching and all these things. It's all connected. It's all connected. See, and here's, here's the difference or not the difference, but what shocks me is there's a lot, I'm the only grain bag retailer in this province that stood my ground and said, Hey, this is not right. And, and, and that's, that was my fight to choose, hmm. but these guys have to represent that their customers they, they need them year after year. They're, they're building that relationship with the farmer. There, there is a relationship between the 100%. customer and the client there. And, and this stuff is being taken away from us because of these policies. Right. And, uh, yeah, this is a conversation that needs to occur. And I hope it, uh, it sparks some interest in the farming community. 100%. Well, and uh, you, can, you can count on me. <laughs> I'm blowing this up as as big as I can absolutely blow it. Um, I, I have a number of town halls coming up, and this will be part of that discussion. No doubt about awesome. it. Awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Mark, I, I thank you again for having me on the show. I don't know what you've got planned here next, but uh, I assume my time is coming to an end. So Yeah, it's all good, brother. Anytime you want to come on and, and uh, whenever something else happens that you want to bring to light, uh, it, it's always open for you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Mark. Thank you for everybody that, uh, 
to watch this. I hope you learned something and please click share. Um, it helps me out, helps Mark out. Let's, let's get this message out there and let people know what's happening. You betcha, brother. All right. Thanks awesome. for coming on. You betcha. Thank you. See you next time. Yeah. You betcha. All right, so that was Young Dallin. Um, a very good example of, of what's uh, what's going on here. Uh, and this these are the things, these are the dots that we have to connect in this um, this journey we're on. <coughs> because if if people don't understand how all of this works and expose it and expose all of these things as they're happening. Um, you know, that, that's what we have to do. The, the media is not doing any of this because the media is paid off. The media is an absolute joke. Um, so they don't do any of these, you know, um, they used to. Like I can, I can picture, you know, maybe smaller local media companies going and interviewing Dallin, a small small farm farmer, uh, small businessman, um, starting to starting a business, creating a solution to to one of the problems, a local kid. I, I, I can remember when media companies would interview people like Dallin to get to the bottom of it, to get to actually do their job as journalists and expose this stuff that you never see that anymore none of that happens anymore the only reason the media exists today is to promote um whatever the government wants the narrative of the day so um yeah but like we always say there's a lot more of us than there are of them and uh the sooner more people understand what's happening and this is this is a live stream of course it'll be uploaded later uh, but this is one of those informational pieces that is easily shareable to your friends your family your co-workers um, you know whatever that your neighbors whatever the case may be this is something that that people can understand how this all works and, and what the consequences are. Um, again, it's cookie-cutter policies being created by an unelected, unaccountable foreign entity developing public-private partnerships with multinationals. And then, you know, that goes down right to our provincial government um, making deals with these corporations because they're probably told to. They're probably told. There's probably sent an email Hey, listen, Crop Life owns clean farms. So Scott Moe, you're going to give this contract to Crop Life and Clean Farms um, at the expense of Saskatchewan taxpayers because that's how this works. This is what you're going to do. And so we need somebody in power. We need somebody leading this province that's going to have the balls to say no I'm actually here to represent the people and the best interests of our province, not multinational corporations that are attached at the hip to the UN agenda that is all about destroying 
our prosperity, our freedoms, our liberty, our justice, our sovereignty, and, and our way of life in this province and, and this country. We need people to stand up and say, no, it's not happening. We need actual leaders to say no to these people and to lead the world out of the mess that they're taking us in. Um, so <coughs> that's where we're at. <laughs> Globo ho, Globo ho, mo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the scary part is it is only going to get worse, Kelly. Um, and, and we know it's going to get worse. I mean, just look at the Netherlands. Uh, and the situation that, that they've been in for the last year. I mean, they've been steadily protesting over and over and over. And, I mean, finally, and this is this is a good point. I'm glad that you brought that up, Rex. Um, finally, a grassroots party, the BBB, the Farmers Party, um, in that country, took over the Senate with 15 seats relegating Roots party uh, looks like down to 10 and and that's huge and I, I just that's a lesson for all of us for all of you folks that think uh, voting doesn't achieve anything if you don't think for a second with all of the pressure and the spotlight on the Netherlands and that government and their heavy-handed fist on the farmers, with all of that pressure and all of that uh, being exposed, and somehow their election wasn't manipulated, somehow enough people got involved that they trampled whatever attempt they maybe took to manipulate the outcome of an election. But I think what happens in these situations is too many people were in favor of that party, that grassroots farmer support party, um, that it they couldn't manipulate the outcome. And this is why I say all the time, you have to get involved. I mean, there's 40% of people in this country that choose not to vote every election. If that 40% just decided, you know what, this time we're going to flood the ballot. We're going to flood it with that 40% and we're going to vote to flip this thing on its ear and get rid of the establishment that's committed to this globalist agenda, Agenda 2030. And we're going to upset the apple cart. And we're going to put it in the hands of people that actually care about our country and our provinces. That's what needs to happen. That's what we need to do. Because that's what the Netherlands did. And it worked. And now you have that party... The BBB sitting in the Senate having an effect on the farmers. Now, at the end of the day, they're still part of the EU. And that's going to be a challenge 
for that party moving forward to pull themselves from under the boot of the EU. Uh, so they, they have a, a, a still a colossal fight ahead of them. This is all coming from the EU. This is all coming um, and being implemented, of course, you know, by the, the Netherlands government, but it's coming from the EU. This is an, an EU agenda, which, of course, is attached to the greater UN agenda and and their commitment to those achieving the goals of sustainable development. So um, their fight is far from over, but it's still it's still exactly what needs to happen. They they got some representation finally uh, in the Senate, and and the farmers are going to be represented probably for the first time in 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 maybe a, a very long time, and uh, and that's important. So, uh, yes, fascist Europe centered in Brussels, 100%. Uh, I don't know if they started with digital ID in the Netherlands yet. Uh, my guess is they've all started. All these countries have, have at least initiated the process. So where does Andrew Scheer play out? for SAS, because as a house speaking rep, he's a sellout. Yes, he is a sellout. Of course he is. <laughs> uh, Andrew Scheer, when he ran, when he was the leader of the Conservative Party, um, he... Hang on. He uh, brought in sustainable development agenda and embraced it, of course, because... He led the party that's responsible for it being committed to in this country. So, um, anyways, I'm just sharing the link here with Salim. Uh, he's going to join us here in a minute. And we'll carry on the conversation. Um, voting is tribal. Protect your community without governance. Um, I don't understand what that means. Mosh pit. Yeah, that is when journalists were real journalists. 100%. Unfortunately, these days they're all paid by the government, so no longer have to go after a story for the truth. 100%. That's how it works. And the sooner people understand this, that everything is orchestrated, everything is coordinated, manufactured, that you see on TV, whether it's the news or TV shows, or it's all meant to manipulate your brain. It's all meant to indoctrinate you, to turn you into a zombie. Um, that's that's what it all is. And the sooner people realize this and shut the damn thing off, the better off we're all going to be. We have people in Alberta that say we have to vote UCP only. They say do not vote Independence Party. All they're doing is split the vote. That's incorrect, Mary Wall, <clears throat> and I'll tell you why. They're, they're trying to say this in Saskatchewan, too, with the Buffalo Party. Um, the reality is this. The Independence Party of Alberta, the Buffalo Party of Saskatchewan, are focusing their attention on 
rural writings, where there is very little, if any, chance of, of NDP support. I can say in Saskatchewan, the only place the NDP has support is in the cities, in Saskatoon and Regina. That's it. And, you know, up north. Uh, there's one big riding there. <coughs> and and that's it. So there is there is no vote split problem or issue. Um, maybe in a couple of the city ridings, you know, if there was a split between Buffalo and the SAS party, maybe the NDP comes up the middle. Um, but that's only relative to the cities. Alberta is very similar, very much the same. Uh, Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, you'll, you'll, you could probably see that happening, but for most of the rural ridings, vote split is, you could split 50, 50, say for instance, with the SAS party in a rural riding, you could split that vote 50, 50, and it wouldn't matter because the NDP is only at 15, 10, 15% support in those ridings. So that's a fallacy. That's a lie. People are lying to you. Um, we've had these discussions uh, with Bob Leon and, and, and Archer uh, just in regards to, you know, dedicating resources to particular writings. Is the Independence Party of Alberta with an election coming up at the end of May going to form the next government? I don't believe they will. I don't think so. I don't think there's enough time. However... They will, and they do have an opportunity to get seats, as long as people don't buy into the fear-mongering that it's splitting the vote, which it isn't. So people need to understand that. I, I, it's amazing to me. I've had people contact me from Alberta and ask, what's the alternative to the UCP? Well, what's the alternative? The only guy that is prepared to tell the truth and sacrifice himself while telling the truth and was chucked in jail numerous times. Archer Pulowski. That's the alternative. Are you kidding? Daniel Smith is not your friend. Daniel Smith is part of the matrix. Daniel Smith is the establishment. She's leading the UCP. That's the same party that locked up pastors in Alberta. That's the same party that... that shut down the economy in Alberta. That's the same party that that fined thousands of people exercising their rights. The same in Saskatchewan. Just because you change the leader it doesn't doesn't mean that whole entity has changed. It, it's the opposite. They are who they are. So if you're looking for an alternative to the establishment, Somebody that's actually going to tell you, and, and there's nothing, there is nothing that I would love to see more than Archer Prolowski, Bob Blayon, and a number of other Independence Party of Alberta, MLA, sitting in the legislature, coming out of the legislature and telling all of you the truth. There's nothing I would love more than that. Because you know Archer's going to tell you the truth, regardless of what anybody says. He's not in this for a paycheck. 
He's not in it for a pension. Archer Pulowski is in it because this is what he truly believes. And he sees the communism coming. He sees the authoritarianism, the totalitarianism coming. And Archer Pulowski will tell you all the truth. See, when you're an MLA, you're privy to a number of um, issues. And you're privy to information that you wouldn't normally be privy to. So get Archer Pulowski elected in Alberta so he can start telling all of you the truth and expose the UCP and Daniel Smith for what they are. That's what's important. Get them a caucus of three, four, five seats, ten seats, I don't care. Just do it. Just do it. Send the establishment a message. This is the same thing we're doing in Saskatchewan with the Buffalo Party. We need seats in the legislature so we can tell you the truth as to what's going on. This is why it's so important that we, we do this. And we, we break through and into the ledge. So there's somebody there that's going to tell you people the truth. And show you what's happening. Anyways, uh, I see my next guest is in the green room. Uh, Professor Salim Mansour. So let's bring Salim on and uh, and we'll see what Salim has to say for us tonight. Good day, my friend. Good to see you. Uh, same here, Mark. It's always good to be with you and good to be with all the friends who come on board. Yes. So um, what are me and you going to talk about tonight? So myself and Brenton, uh, yesterday, we uh, released the True North Declaration. Uh, Brenton read it out loud on the channel last night. And uh, so it's out there. It, it's out there. And, and now we're pushing it uh, to all corners. So to expose this to people so they understand, you know, what we have to do and, and, and why we're doing what we're doing. And... Uh, <clears throat> What was the sense of your response? I mean, was there any sense uh, they were getting a feedback? Yeah, and, and, you know, of course, because I had already spoken about it uh, a week prior, um, there was a lot of people that had already heard this, and, and they were excited to see that it's, it's coming to fruition and it'll be released and be able to be downloaded. And, and so the response has been quite good. I, we've had over just about 2,000 views on Twitter. We'd have over 1,000 on Rumble. Uh, Facebook, there's probably maybe two or 3,000. So it's getting out there. So, you know, people are talking about it, and, and uh, it's getting some legs. I had a discussion today with uh, the leader of the Keystone Party of Manitoba, and I mentioned this declaration to him as well. And it sounds like, you know, uh, if, I, if I judged him correctly, it sounds like, that's essentially what they are and what their party is going to represent is giving power back to the people. Yes, I, th uh, I think, you know, um, the Freedom Convoy movement did not go down. It is alive. It is breathing. Yes. It is uh, going to have a second iteration. Uh, and that's the in the broader sense, the Freedom Convoy movement is going to be rolling. Uh, 
it never stopped rolling uh, when it went and arrived in Ottawa last year uh, in February. <clears throat> and despite everything that has happened, the Emergency Act and, and all that is going on, I think the spirit of Freedom Convoy is the spark that is going to basically yeah. light the fire. Hopefully, we pray. And um, if people understand what is in motion or what we can what they, what the people can put in motion, because this is the people's agenda. I was thinking about this as a, just as a preface of the remark. Um, the Charter of Rights and Freedom uh, that became the Constitution Act of 1982, uh, it'll be 41 years ago this April, <clears throat> was followed by two, ro two rounds to bring Quebec into uh, the Constitution, uh, because Quebec did not sign, the Premier right. René Lévesque did not sign the Constitution mm -hmm. Act, the amending formula and the Charter of Rights uh, in 1981. Uh, so it was the first 10 ministers, although the 11 ministers, the first 11 ministers, nine premiers and the prime minister, they signed it, and Quebec didn't. And so there were two rounds uh, led by uh, Brian Mulroney, the Meech Lake Accord, and then the Charlottetown Accord. Both of them went down to defeat because of the way uh, the premiers agreed to get it ratified. In the Meech Lake Accord, um, all of the provinces uh, were required to vote unanimously to accept the Meech Lake Accord, and it died in Manitoba uh, when one member of the Manitoba legislature, a First Nation Manitoban, Elijah Harper, said no, right. and the una unanimity was broken. So Meech Lake Accord died, and then a second attempt was made, and that was the Charlottetown Accord, 1992, and <clears throat> Charlottetown Accord, the requirement was agreed upon to have a referendum. And it died because the people said no. So I just, I'm recalling those two, two accords, Meech Lake Accord and the Charlottetown Accord of 1992. From 1992 to where we are right now, 2023, is 31 years. There has been no discussion among the first uh, 11 first ministers on the constitutional issue, though the constitutional issue was raised. Right. Again, in the West, it, the idea was seeded because of the unequal nature of our institution, the House of Commons and the Senate. And the Triple E Senate was the proposition that was floated uh, by uh, Preston Manning and the Reform Party. And again, it went across the country and there was a lot of support for it, but it was never handled by the premiers and the prime minister after Charlottetown Accord. Mm. And the 10 years of Harper government, when he it was bounden for him to be as a prime minister from a Western province, Alberta, from where this idea emerged, never, never 
to attempt to call a first minister's meeting and put these questions on the table. Whether it was agreed or not agreed, it was his bounden duty to bring about that discussion. So 31 years when has gone by. The Conservative Party, both of Mulroney and of Harper, totally fail. So here is now, after the Emergencies Act, my friend, I again propose the discussion, if we can make, if the people can make it grow, this time it will be the people's accord. It will yes. not be Charlottetown Accord. It will not be Michelin Accord. It will be People's Accord, the Canadian People's Accord, their demand to fix the Constitution. 100%. Absolutely. Salim, um, you wrote a blog in your Substack. Yes. And you entitled it, Canada is Constitutionally Broken and by the Will of the People. Um, so I've uploaded that to the, oh, the word Canada's uh, Canada's constitutionally broke broken and by the will of the people it can be fixed my friend you lost those three words right <laughs> the broken constitution now the people must fix it we can fix it and we can fix it in a way that will resolve all the future problems that we can anticipate because it will be the will of the people. Absolutely. I think this is this is this article that you wrote this uh, essay. Yeah. I think actually it, it, it's it's so well written and gives such a, a great historical context to why we have to do this. Um, I think it's really important that people not only consume the declaration, but to consume this as well. And you can find it on the FFCS uh, website, uh, ffcs.info, and just go to the drop down and find the blog. When you find the blog, just scroll down until you get to, to, to where this is posted. And it's incredibly important to, to read this and really understand, you know, the, the foundation and the premise as to why we why we need this constitutional change and these amendments uh, to move forward if we're ever going to um, live free and truly free and sovereign uh, and out from under the, the boot of parliament and, and the provincial governments. Thank you, Mark. Um... I know you want to discuss this, and I want to also raise and, and point out, you know, the key issues over here, discuss it. Uh, this is the weapon that the people have to arm themselves with, in my view, again. Um, and I hope uh, the people uh, will um, go to the blog that you have posted on, uh, FFCS. But if I, with your permission, make a pitch, they can also go to salimmansoursubstack.com and simply begin to uh, subscribe my Substack. That will uh, also be very helpful because I will be expanding upon this. You know, this is a very tightly argued paper, uh, but I will develop each of the point further, hopefully that will become a monograph. So as I say, this is to arm. I was talking this morning with um, Robert Warren and, and Robert on his podcast, and it struck me. 
it struck me as follows. The declaration that you read, uh, you had Brenton come on and read it, and, and that is now, I imagine, is under discussion in Saskatchewan and in Alberta with the respective parties and, and will be adopted as part of the party platform. And I hope that will set the seeding of the idea within a provincial party, which is where it has to begin. The yes. constitutional reform has to begin at the provincial level. And the seeding, as was done with the Triple E Senate. And it struck me while I was talking about this with um, Robert, and, and the, um, the video will be out over the weekend, so we will post that video, I will post that video, that this paper... It, the declaration that Brenton uh, uh, drafted, yeah. and um, I don't know whether you mentioned it or not, or whether it would be okay for me to mention it, I don't know. Yeah. But if I might mention the mechanics of it, yes. Brenton wrote the draft and he sent it to me a month ago, and we yeah. went and worked through it over several versions till the final one that he read. I don't know whether he made any further subsequent um edits upon the final version that i worked out with him no. uh, which you read and saw in calgary when i was there uh, 10 days ago mm. um it's you know we had talked brenton and i had talked about that the model of this declaration should be and i hope it has turned out to be what thomas jefferson Declaration of Independence was in 1776 when it was ratified and published on July the 4th, 1776. Mm -hmm. So that declaration has become part of the American founding documents. So in this declaration, the model was Thomas Jefferson's declaration. Right. And in conversation with Robert, it struck me that this paper I had not thought about it as in those terms, but on rereading it with Bob and discussing it with Bob, it struck me that this is the model is the Federalist paper. The Federalist paper, if those mm -hmm. of uh, people who have studied or are aware of American history uh, during the foundation years, the Federalist papers were written, these were correspondences between Alexander Hamilton and Madison and John Jay, all of them were founding fathers. Madison would become the fourth president of the United States. Um, but they were written as correspondences, as opinion articles to be published in the newspapers of the day in New York, in Virginia, in Massachusetts. And then it became the Federalist paper because it was an attempt to explain to the people, yeah. the common American, you know, who had been roused up, what would be required to put together now that America had become independent, they were all working towards the Constitution and to explain the Constitution and the mechanics of the Constitution. <clears throat> in our case, we have we have the uh, Constitution in the sense there is this Constitution. We need to take it away from where it is and make it a people's Constitution. Yes. And so this paper, in that sense, is in that same model or same design, because I've laid it out. You have read it, and I hope others will read it and 
add to it in the sense that, that they find some problems with it that can bring it to our notice, you know, yeah. um, uh, improve it, you know, and so on and so forth. But it is a working paper that lays down the grounds of what needs to be done and why and how this whole charter of rights and freedom that became a Constitution Act of 1982 has turned out to be a basic charade, right. a hoax. Yeah. Uh, and while it is a hoax, um, we can turn it around. 100% we can. 100%. And, and so the interesting thing to this, <clears throat> I think I mentioned it to you, that's, is I've, I've been in conversation through email with Brian Peckford. And he's, he's interested to have a meeting with us um, through Zoom uh, to, to initiate the discussion. I'm hoping that we can bring him on board. I'm hoping that we can have some fruitful discussions with him because I think it's important that he's, you know, involved in this um, to a certain degree. More than uh, uh, important, it is it carries the weight of symbolism. He's the last living uh, member of the uh, 11 first ministers who got together uh, in 1981, in November 1981. Um, he was there, as he has stated repeatedly. Uh, he, he spoke two days before the um, Emergencies Act was invoked in Ottawa on February 14th, the Valentine's Day. You know, what a symbolism there that the Prime Minister of Canada was greeting the people of Canada on Valentine's Day with his jackboots. Yeah. Smashing it on his face, you know. Yeah. Valentine's Day, people get together and kiss each other and share flowers and bring roses. And here we have the prime minister with a jackboot on the face of Canadian people. Right. Two two days before that, um, um, Brian Peckford, the Honorable Brian Peckford, pre, former premier of um, Newfoundland and one of the uh first um, uh, um, uh, of the first uh, ministers of the yeah, 11 yeah. Uh, in Ottawa is alive and on in that speech and I have quoted that speech in 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 the paper at Len yeah. Mr. Brian uh, uh, sorry Brian Peckford talked about you know he was there he was the instrumental in writing and composing uh, and putting together the words for the Patriation Act uh, and then the charter, and he talked about section one, and he talked about the rights and freedom, and he said, you know, we have to make the stand. This is our stand. And so I'm picking up from his words. The Freedom Convoy did not get extinguished as, as the Prime Minister wished by bringing in the, um, the Emergencies Act. He has given new life and new force to the Freedom Convoy movement. And Brian Puckford can be our flag carrier, you know, from that generation, passing on the flag of bringing back the Constitution to the people of Canada, to the next generation, to the generation that was not born in 1982. I mean, I call the people who came to Ottawa, the Freedom Convoy movement, and it's, it's on the paper, I address them. I, I define them as charter Canadians because they, most of them, 
Remember, this is the 40th anniversary it was there. So 40 yeah. years before, most of the truckers, they were either not born or they were infant or they were young adults. Mm -hmm. You know, so they came of age during this 40-year period. Take Tamara Leash. Tamara Leash is now a grandmother, but she was not even a teenager in 1982. I was 11. You were 11. So, you see, your, your whole life, that adult life and shaping of your life has taken place under this umbrella of the Charter of Rights and Freedom. And I've called them char uh, the Charter Canadians. Why? Because you, uh, both in a personal term, I'm addressing you, Mark, but in the generic sense, the generation, the truckers, the people who supported the truckers movement from across Canada, coast to coast to coast, um, and they are the future of Canada. That's the bulk of the population of Canada. Uh, they are in that age group who came to age under the shadow of the charter. And you believe that your charter was real. You believe that your rights and your freedoms were now guaranteed and protected and secure in the Constitution, unlike the Bill of Rights of 1960 that uh, uh, Prime Minister John Diefenbaker put through as a statute. So it, the Bill of Rights of 1960 is a statute. It is not a fundamental law. It is not a constitutional law. And so you all grew up believing, and you had every right to believe, that now it was a constitutional law, the rights and freedom, and it was secure, and your rights were protected. And then you came in for the rude awakening. And the rude awakening that you came into was that the rights and freedom are basically not rights and freedom in a constitution. It is a grant. It is a privilege, a privilege. given to you by the prime ministers, by the parliament, by the legislatures, and anything that is given to you. So it this is a constitutional way. box, if I may make the metaphor, the mm -hmm. constitutional box. And the box is open, and your rights and freedoms are given to you. That is the right to free speech, the right to association, the right to believe, the mobility rights, the equality rights, and so on and so forth, from Section 2 to Section 17 to Section 15. But these are like, you know, so many Christmas baubles given to you, but it can be taken back from you because you don't have any rights. Right. That is the discovery and the awakening of the Canadian people, that the Constitution, the Constitution Act of 1982 did not change anything fundamentally when it comes to Canada's Constitution, the British North America Act of 1867, which still remains the Constitution Act of 1867, and nothing changed. It was all a dance and roses but no substance to it no sh and, no 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 teeth to it and on two occasions both from the same family um the war measures act in 72 and the emergencies act in 2022 
essentially relegated those charter rights to equal exactly nothing. Yeah, um, the father and son, you're talking about Pierre Elliott Trudeau mm -hmm. and Justin Trudeau and the War Measures Act of 1970, October 1970. 70? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, the War Measures Act was in the BNA Act and the BNA Act is a statute. Mm -hmm. It was a statute Right. of the Imperial Parliament, Westminster, London, mm -hmm. that was given to the British North America uh, colonies. Mm -hmm. At the time in 1867, when this was negotiated or appeal was made, it was not even negotiated, an appeal was made to the Imperial Parliament in Westminster, London, that we would like you to give us the permission. Remember, this was a petition. We would like you to give us a permission and make us a confederation. So we were the provinces, the provinces of Upper and Lower Canada mm. and the provinces of New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. That's the maritime provinces. Yeah. PEI, Prince Edward Island, was not part of it at that time. They didn't join it. And Newfoundland and Labrador was then an independent mm -hmm. uh, uh, a colony of Great Britain. Uh, Newfoundland had a referendum in 1949 to join Canada. Right. So in 1867, Newfoundland was not there. So basically, it was the four provinces, the provinces of Canada, upper and lower, uh, and the province of New Brunswick and uh, uh, Nova Scotia. And so 1867 was the statute that was passed uh, in Imperial Parliament. Mm. And I have it right here, my, my constitution. I keep my constitution, my Bible, my Quran all together. <laughs> <laughs> so I can make quick references, you know, yeah, sure. that I don't misquote them because there might be some priest that might say I, I am an apostate. I'm misquoting right. them. <laughs> right. So here it is, you know, uh, let me read the opening opening thing because this is very important. It says, the very opening sentence, it says, an act, that's a statute, an act for the Union of Canada, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick and the government thereof and for the purposes connected therewith. Whereas the provinces of Canada, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick have expressed the desire, that's the petition, have expressed the desire to be federally united into one dominion mm. under the crown of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland with a constitution similar in principle to that of the United Kingdom. Okay, so if you parse these words, that means if you if you work on these words, what they mean, which is what the lawyers do, and especially constitutional lawyers, with the constitution, so the the act in the opening of the sentence will become the constitution of this new confederation. Right. Okay, but it is a statute in its origin, right. being passed by the imperial parliament. The BNA Act. Yeah, and it will become a constitution 
which will be similar in principle. It doesn't say similar in constitution of Great Britain or United Kingdom. It says similar in principle. Why? Because Britain doesn't have a written constitution. So what does Britain have under which the Parliament of Great Britain, the Imperial Parliament of Great Britain, gave to Canada the constitution that would be under the principle of the United Kingdom? Right. Fascinating, fascinating. And for 165 years, we are in the 165 years, Mark, nobody... And I'm saying this emphatically, not in, in any sense of arrogance and hubris, historical fact. Mm. Nobody in these 165 years thought about what it is that Canada is built upon. Right. Because it is you and I, that is us people now, we are representing the people. We are pointing out that Canada's Constitution Act of 1867 and added to that the Constitution Act of 1982 is based upon English law and the English law is based upon common law and statutes. Britain doesn't have a written constitution like the United States have Mm. And we now have, but our constitution is still tied up with the mother's womb. We have not cut the umbilical cord. So it is English law. And here is the important point. The heart of the matter, and this is the discussion you and I and others, if we have that opportunity that you are trying to arrange yeah. with Brian Peckford, that he comes. Mm. He will have to answer us whether he's on board or not on board, because the question is going to be, if I am there, this is the question will be, with all due respect, he is our former premier. But it's going to be a hard question. Mr. Peckford, when you drafted what you now have pointed out in your speeches and in your memoir, and I went through your memoir, mm -hmm. What you have drafted, and then you talk about Section 1, you drafted it under the English law. Mm. And did you understand and were you cognizant that under English law, what does the Constitution mean? Mm. And the answer, and I will wait to see whether he answers this, the answer is, under the English law, unwritten and statutory, the supremacy, the sovereign, the supremacy of the parliament is what matters. It is right. parliament that is supreme, not the people, not exactly. the monarch. Exactly. Okay. So you wrote the Constitution Act of 1982, not you alone but there were 10 other premiers and the prime minister and all of the legal people around you 
you know, the attorney generals and so on and so forth from your province. There was Alan Blakeney and Roy Romano. <clears throat> uh, and Roy Romano would go on to become the premier of, 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 of Saskatchewan uh, subsequently. Yep. So all of these are lawyers. All of these are, uh, uh, you know, come out of legal school. Trained in the British. Trained in the British system. The British so system. how is it? that when you talk about the charter of, of rights and freedom under the British law, there is no rights and freedom except the rights and freedom that is granted by the parliament. Right, exactly. And, and the parliament that grants that rights and freedom can take it away any moment it wants. And that's exactly what you wrote. You wrote section one and you wrote section 33. That means the rights and freedom between, that is from section two, through section 17 to 15 is bracketed under section 1 and section 33. That means they're not independent and protected and guaranteed. Right, 100%. And that's what I've explained in, in the paper. And the people have to understand this very, very sharp. So this leads to, Mark, asking the question, 165 years, where is the Canadian people? It is not referred to in the BNA Act of 1867, and it is not there in the, as a Constitution Act of 1867. There's no reference to the people. And then you, Mr. Peckford, and your colleagues, the other 10 first ministers, you drew up the Patriation Act, you drew up the amending formula, and you drew up the Charters of Rights and Freedom, and there is no mention of the people. Right. So for 165 years, Mr. Peckford, the absence of any recognition of people in 1867, in 1982, and in 2022, when the Emergencies Act was used, mm. it is an act of Parliament as sovereign the people are not sovereign so if the people are not sovereign what are they they are a subject they are a serf exactly. by definition yes so we our movement the people's accord is to amend this constitution mm -hmm. so that for the first time in 165 years the people will become sovereign. We have to become first sovereign because if you are not sovereign, nothing we can do has any meaning. Then, then we're a slave for eternity. Yes, because the idea of sovereignty, of course, it, is a, it, is, it, it begins, I'm talking now about the Western world. So Britain is part of, Britain is the mother of parliament. The idea of sovereignty is that of God. God is the sovereign. And on earth, God's representative is delegated the sovereignty. That's the both religious theory mm. and then it becomes a legal constitutional theory. So on earth, that sovereign person is the monarch, the divine right of the king. Okay, so sovereignty as a concept means there is no superior power above the sovereign, right. right? And all laws, all actions, all regulations, all rules emanate 
out of the sovereign will. So there is the divine, the monarch, and the monarch is the divine right of the king. Then there is the idea of sovereignty as history evolves, politics evolve. Sovereignty is then embodied in a institution. Mm. So that's the parliament. And then as history evolves again, the sovereignty is in a corporate body that is the people. So you can see, because the 13 colonies in America, of what is now America, yeah. they were part of the British North America. They were colonies, just as is <clears throat> Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, <clears throat> and Upper and Lower Canada. So at that time, we are going to 1776, the sovereignty was in the parliament because in the 17th century, that is 1600s, the English Civil War was a fight between the monarch and the parliament. Right. Charles I insisted, as had all the monarchs before Charles I, Elizabeth I, her father, Henry VIII, going all the way back to, you know, King Arthur and King Alfred and King John and King Henry. The monarch is ruling with as it have the divine right to rule. And this was the principle right across Europe, right. the divine right to rule. But in the after the death of Elizabeth I uh, and uh, the crown being handed to James VI of Scotland, who became James I of England, the problem was that the Scots were Catholic. And to become the king of England, they had to abandon their Catholicism or embrace the Anglicanism, which is Protestantism, because Henry VIII had broken away from mm. the Catholic uh, power of Rome. Mm. Um, so James I, James VI became James I of England, and he embraced Anglicanism. But his sons were divided about this. The Scots were Catholic, Bonnie Prince Charlie, Queen Mary, they were Catholics. So when Charles I became uh, the king of England, he insisted that he is the monarch and his rights are the divine rights that cannot be questioned. And that began the civil war. I mean, that was the spark that created the civil war. And in that civil war, ultimately, Charles I and his people were defeated and he was executed for treason. In 1649, Oliver Cromwell became the Lord Protector. That action resolved the question between who is superior and who is inferior. The king is above the law or the parliament is above the law. And when the king was beheaded, the matter was solved. Right. It was a brutal way to solve the problem because there was a civil war, but the matter was solved. And from then on, it is the supremacy of the parliament. And when, in 1688, the Parliament decided, after the death of Cromwell, Parliament decided to re-establish uh, monarchy, it was no longer the divine right of king, it was a constitutional monarchy. Mm -hmm. It was a Parliament that was handing the crown 
to the king or the queen, Queen Anne, and it became a constitutional monarchy. The, the laws of England, Blackstone is the main textbook that the founding fathers read to become lawyers, both in America and in Canada. Johnny MacDonald was a lawyer and so was Alexander Galt and so on and on. And, and they all read Blackstone's textbook. And it is, as Blackstone defined it, the power of the parliament is so transcendent, it cannot be bound. It can do anything and everything that can be done without breaking what is nature's impossibility. Right. So later on, um, Justice Riddell of the Supreme Court of Ontario uh, used Blackstone's uh, argument and then fleshed it out by saying the parliament of the dominion, the legislatures of the dominion can do anything except make a woman a man and a man a woman. Well, Justin Trudeau can do that. <laughs> He's the dictator who can do that. Right. <laughs> but the point now is, uh, Mark, and I hope our friends will read my paper and, and grab hold of it. The point is that the parliament is supreme and Brian Peckford and Pierre Trudeau and Alan Blakeney and Peter Lougheed and Angus MacLean and Bill Davis and Richard Hatfield and so on. That is the 10 premiers and the prime ministers, except for René Levesque, who didn't sign. They all defended the supremacy of the parliament. Mm. You see? So when, during this period leading up to the Freedom Convoy movement, through what all of us have gone through with the mandates and the vaccine and all the cases that were launched, you know, in trying to protect our charter rights while Arthur Polosky and pastors and churches were being fenced up and beaten up and so on and so forth. What were the courts saying? This law is all justifiable. This 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 yeah. vaccine mandate and everything is justifiable, you know. Because the parliament is supreme and sovereign. Absolutely, absolutely. And that is the awakening. And the people of Canada has to wake up and say no more. We are going to take it back. Mr. Peckford, you are either with us or you're against us. And I hope and pray you are with us because this will be the last act that you can do to save your name and to become, again, the founding father of this amended constitution in which the people of Canada will become sovereign. And the formula is very simple, but the effort behind it will have to be absolutely all Canadian, pan-Canadian. It is, as, uh, the, as Brian Peckford himself said, you know, most people, most Canadians don't read the, the Charter of Rights and uh, Freedom by emphasizing the opening sentence. Right. They they start reading it by looking at uh, section two, section three. But what is the opening sentence? The opening sentence is the preamble. And here right. it is. The opening sentence is, whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. That's the opening sentence. That's the preamble, you know. So I said in my paper, the preamble, if, if we listen to Brian Feckford, the preamble is the preamble about the sovereignty clause. 
Right. Section one is the limitation clause, section two and on. So the opening sentence is the sovereignty clause. The problem is that in the sovereignty clause, the preamble, the Canada is founded upon two principles, the supremacy of God and the rule of law. The, the premiers ratifying the constitution did not define what they meant by supremacy of God. Mm. You see, they left it hanging, and then it says, and the rule of law, and they didn't define it. So if it is the supremacy of God, then the law, the rule of law, is God's law. But Canada, in this 165 years, have gone so far away from God's law, whether it is Mosaic law or canonical law, that is not God's law. Mm. In God's law, there is no LGBTQ. There is no man becomes woman, woman becomes man, you know, and so on and on and on, you know. So what is it, Mr. Peckford? You are telling me, telling you, Mark, telling all of us that Canada is based upon the supremacy of God and the rule of law. And I'm asking you, what do you mean by this? And you have not defined it. So let us define it. Hmm. And, and we can define it by seven words. Recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law derived from the will of the people. Yes. That's the sovereignty clause. That's exactly, exactly the sovereignty clause in the American Constitution. It begins, just like ours, it begins with the sovereignty clause. It says, we the people of the United States we the people of the United States. And then it goes on to define it in that sentence. And then after that is the whole constitution of the United States, you know, Article 1, Article 2, uh, it's just a small little book. Yes. We have a thick book. This is the constitution, a thick book, because it is a statute <laughs> right. coming from, from the imperial parliament. Mm. And in our sovereignty clause, there's no mention of anything. Because there's no mention of the people and the mention of God is a joke. It should, it should insult any Christian. So long we are a majority Christian country. If this is a supremacy of God, then what law do we have that you people in the parliament have been writing and passing? Right. Right. So there it is. You put those seven words, supremacy of God and the rule of law. Two things happen. The people are now sovereign. Yes. And we are going to decide through our representation what law is acceptable and what law is not acceptable. And the first thing we are going to decide once we, we, we are acknowledged as sovereign, that we are going to repeal Section 1 and Section 33. We sure are. Because we cannot repeal Section 1 and 33 without having sovereignty. Because that is the privilege of the of the parliament, you know, based on English law. Right. And in English law, the people are not represented. Mm. So it flows logically, it flows constitutionally, and it for the first time will make us, the Canadian people, sovereign. And the beauty of that, the beauty of that, Mark, is 
that we will, for the first time in 165 years, the First Nation, the founding two cultures, French and English, and then the new Canadians that has come to Canada since the first centenary, we will all become Canadian, yes. no longer hyphenated Canadian. Mm. We will be Canadian. We will be the Canadian nation. We will be the Canadian people. And particularly the First Nation, they will become sovereign in Canada, just like you and me and everybody else. And there we can discard and throw away as an imperial document, a colonial document, the Indian Act. Yes. And 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 the, and, the, and, all, and, of it. and, and all of it. And, and, and our First Nation will be proudly Canadian their values will be Canadian values that you and I and all, all of us will rated equally. Yes, yes, because that's what is going to happen. Yes. It's such a beautiful thing. And this is what we have to educate the people. Yes. This is where we have to drive, drive this argument. And of course, politically, we would love to see all of these people who have been acting as if they're representing the people, but they have been representing the king, the queen, the oligarchs, uh, uh, the World Economic Forum, and the last that they represent is the people. 100%, absolutely. And, and we would like to see how they argue that they're not going well, to recognize the sovereignty of the people. And this is, this is what I'm looking forward to as, as this movement gains support and gains momentum and it will i'm looking forward to see who's going to jump aboard to oppose this because you know they will because oh, yes. our establishment yeah. love the power they have over the people yes the, 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 there's nothing more they they like and, and yes. so i'm looking forward to exposing all of the people that don't want to hand over the power to the people that, yes I, I, I can't wait for that because they're gonna look really foolish Yes, we people have nothing but our moral authority, mm. right? And our historical claim and the expression in constitutional term. This is the 21st century. Your charter of rights and freedom belong to the 20th century where you ignored the people. You can no longer ignore the people in the 21st century. So for the first time, the people will be asserting their sovereignty. We're not talking about rights anymore. We're talking about sovereignty because if the sovereign people have rights and freedoms, yes. not the subject people. Yeah. So, Mark, the, 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 the Freedom Convoy movement, movement from now on, I would propose to you, Mark, it is the Freedom Convoy movement of freedom and sovereignty. Yes. People without sovereignty have no freedom. So that's that's what we're going to name the tour that me and you embark on, uh, along with <coughs> along with whoever else, maybe Peckford. Let's hope. Yes. And, and uh, Brenton, um, you know, from from the west coast across this country all the way to the east coast. Yes. Freedom and sovereignty tour to educate yes. as many as people as we can along the way. I I cannot imagine. But I must imagine because there will be a lot of arguments mm -hmm. that will be presented to confuse the people. Yeah. 
because oh. they have money. They, 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 they are the oligarchs. They are the World Economic Forum. They are the mm -hmm. globalists. They're not going to hand it over easily. Right. Um, so all of that will be there. But I'm saying on that side, I imagine. But on the other side of the equation, equation have X and Y. So on the other side of the equation, that is our side of the equation. I cannot imagine, Mark, anyone from PEI to Victoria mm. saying... I don't want inalienable rights. We, we don't want sovereignty. We are happy right. as we are, uh, whatever we are, we are we happy. Slaves and serfs, yeah. Yeah. Right. And if this wave grows... Nothing can stop it because the amending formula, uh, let's come down to the brass stack now. The amending formula is 750. We will have more than 750. Right. I believe that to be true. Yeah. And and, um, this, and when you say 750, that means seven provinces and 50% and of the population. That's the formula. Yeah. Right. So we will, we will have more than that. I would like to see which... Newfoundland, uh, which PEI, which New Brunswick, which Nova Scotia is going to oppose it. Yeah. I think the Quebec people will be right in the vanguard, not behind. 100% they will. I think all the First Nation people will be right in the vanguard, not behind. You know, yeah. so let's see who's who's going to oppose it. I think yeah. this is a win-win-win for Canada, for Canadian us the canadian people and for the world because we will this we movement will defeat globalism in north america this will become part of maga maga is out to defeat globalism in united states we will defeat globalism in in okay. canada and that will be the end of globalism in the world yes 100 percent. and again by the people absolutely the people yeah, the classic line of Abraham Lincoln, you know, mm. a government by the people, for the people, and of the people. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, it should, it should invigorate the people, it should inspire the people, and, and, and we together, all of us, can take back our country that was never actually ours. We were never a sovereign people. 100%. So... Uh, folks, uh, there's there's a uh, True North Declaration Facebook group that's been created where the declaration is posted on, on that page or on that group. Uh, it's also here on our website, Forum for Canadian Sovereignty. Um, it's right there. And it's, it's all written out there for you to read. It's also available for download. Uh, make sure you share this uh, with as many people as possible. Um, again, it's it, join the Facebook group, True North Declaration. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, the all of the information that's sort of the foundation for this is at our vlog and what Salim had written uh, here. So I encourage everyone to read that as well, because that's really, it gives a background to all of what we're doing and why we have to do this. Um, and it's, it's a fantastic, a fantastic read. So uh, please share that, get it out, um, start the conversation. Uh, 
uh, after the 1st of July, um, <clears throat> when we formally make the declaration or proclamation on Canada Day, then we will embark on a tour uh, across Canada informing Canadians as to why we need to amend our constitution to reflect the will of the people and to put the power back into the where the where the power belongs and that's with the people. Right, Salim? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is us, the people, making Canada ours and making Canada great. Absolutely. That 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 hasn't been. We we have been snookered. We have been deceived. We have been bludgeoned. We have been abused. And 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 look at the people who have done this to us. Right. None of them have any principle, any moral conviction. And and all of this was exposed heavily in the last three years. Yes, it was all exposed in this. It was all period. exposed. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's and this is the jumping off part. This is the response from the people in regards to how we've been treated the last three years and what we exposed through that process. And and don't get me wrong, this is this is this is something that that a lot of people sacrificed a lot of their time, a lot of their energy, a lot of their freedom. Um, getting locked up, Pastor Arch Pulowski and other pastors in Alberta getting locked up and, and across the country. Uh, and a lot of people like myself getting fines. I've, I'm up, you know, somewhere around forty thousand uh, dollars in judge judgments against me. Obviously, we'll be appealing, but you know, who knows how that's going to go. Um, and and but this has been us. This has been the people that have exposed this through our actions and our refusal to accept the the limitation of our what we consider inalienable rights and and so we did this and we exposed this through our actions and 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 that's that's an incredibly powerful thing to then inspire what what's yet to come uh our game is far from over and and we the people will take this back and take our country back and and uh I'm yes. very inspired and, and, and encouraged by this. If, if you permit me, Mark, I would slightly rephrase a, a part of your thought. Mm -hmm. We did not, in my view, we did not, that is you, I, every one of us, we did not, that is the Freedom Convoy movement, let's use that as, as the symbol, as the banner, did not set out to expose the charter the, uh, for what oh. it is. It was exposed yeah. by the very people who put the jackboot on the face of Freedom Convoy. Because the, the Freedom Convoy movement is a movement that strongly believed in the Charter of Rights and Freedom as being guaranteed and protected by the solemn oath and promises made by the first ministers, the coming of the queen, the signing of it, and so on and so forth. But it was our courage to, to support and defend what we consider to be inalienable rights given to us by God that we expressed and, and we, we exercised those rights. 
in 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 the face of tyranny at consequence to us and so that's why i say you know because of that courage because of people being uh courageous enough to put themselves on the line uh, that exposed this sort of naturally yes, organically. yes but 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 again it's the balance of how yeah. it is um the courage of the people was that they said no to vaccine mandate those who said no you know yeah. Yeah. those who said no to the mask mandate those who said no to the lockdown those pastors they were very few of them who did what Arthur Polosky did right. kept the churches open yes. you know uh, went out and and tried to attend to the needs of the people during this very difficult time mm. and they did all of that with the firm conviction that what they were doing was not only morally right it was also constitutionally right 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 so who broke the grounds that is who betrayed the constitution the people you and i whatever stand we took we took it on the basis as you have phrased it this is our inalienable right however in the charter rights and freedom those words are not used right so right. so so we were taking that is the Char charter canadians the freedom convoy movement took the words of the charter as legitimate, mm. as genuine, mm. as guaranteed and protected. Why? Because it is constitution. We were not doing this, that the Freedom Convoy was not doing this on the basis of the Bill of Rights of 1960. But People but, understood that. But my point is, Salim, um, for a few of us, yes, is <clears throat> I, I have never needed uh, personally, a constitution given to me by Parliament or the British system to tell me what my rights are. I always look at my rights as mine and inalienable and God-given. That's how I. That's how I approach all of this. So that's why I'm, I'm saying it's. You know, I. This is. This is how I. And I know a lot of Canadians don't, and a lot of Canadians think that they're supported by a charter. That in, in actual fact they're not. No, well, well said, well said. Because the, the 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 point is, Canadian people, we are a democracy. We are one of the oldest democracy. Hmm. If if we simply go without what we have discussed so far, that is under the British law. Under the British law, we are still a democracy because Britain is supposed to be the mother of democracies in the modern history. Right. So. In a democracy, we, that is Canadians, we have many different perspectives on life. We have, you know, take, take um, the mainstream religious tradition. Canada is a Christian country, or it was founded by Christian people. The founding fathers were all, in so many ways, devout Christians, you know. Um, or at least they practiced it in publicly, whatever they did in private is their business. Um, so within that framework, what was unique about British North America, mm. which ironically sparked 
or one was one of the spark in the um, 13 colonies that led to uh, 1776. What was unique was that the, the war of 1759, the Plains of Abraham, the British defeated the French mm -hmm. and North America became a British colony. There were pockets of uh, Spanish, Florida, for instance, you know, uh, Mexico, Texas, and all of that were under the Spanish kings, Spanish rule, till the American colonies expanded and took it over. Mm -hmm. And there was um, the French possession, which is called the Louisiana Purchase, you know, yeah. along the Mississippi, yeah. that was purchased by Jefferson in 1804, uh, when the French handed it over to the Americans. So, but the main thing is that on the eastern seaboard, where the, where the fight took place, if the French had won the fight, we would be in, in a different history, right? Mm -hmm. So there's always the what if of history. Yeah. It is the British that won the fight. And we became British, this eastern seaboard on the Atlantic Ocean mm -hmm. became British North America. But what was unique in this British North America apart from the First Nation people, was that Britain was a Protestant country. It was, you know, it had its own church, nat national church, the Anglican church. And the French in what becomes Quebec after 1867 in Lower Canada, mm. uh, the Nouveau France, was Catholic, Rouge. Right. And what the British did was they recognized the Catholic for their tradition, their language, and gave them the right to do their own taxation, to have their own school, which is what was one of the grievances of the 13 colonies that they would be paying because they were not Catholic. They were pilgrim fathers and children of pilgrim fathers. They were uh, Protestants and Calvinists and so on, that they would be paying tax that would go to uh, the Catholic dispensation. And that was one of the grievances among the many grievances that led to yeah. uh, the Revolutionary War. So what I'm trying to say here, that in a democracy, that is you and your personal understanding and conviction that nobody is going to make, give you freedom. To you, your freedom is your in, inalienable right. You're born with this. These are God-given rights to you, you know. Right. But we are talking about in legal terms now. We're not talking mm. about in moral terms. Right. And in legal terms, there is a diversity of opinion. Mm. And modern Canada, that is Canada in the 21st century, 2023, and going forward, is now very diverse. It is diverse ethnically. It is diverse religiously. It is diverse linguistically. Though the official language is British and English and French. So it is a diverse country just as is America. But in the case of America, e pluribus unum, from many one. So wherever you came from, you become an American. In the case of Canada, we, we chose, that is, again, a Trudeau. It was a Trudeau who made it, a multiculturalism. That me and, and the sun comes along and says, we're a post-national state and we have no core identity. Yeah. For the first time, and that's my argument, for the first time, once we do, and we are successful 
as Canadian people doing to put those words in, in the preamble, we will become the Canadian people. Yeah. Your personal belief, your ethnicity, your religious conviction or having no religious conviction. I talk to people mm. who have none. Right. You know, and their rights have to be respected, too. And those rights will be respected on the basis of constitutional law. Yes, 100 percent. You see, and, 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 and just to conclude this argument, when, I, you know, when you, I pointed out the supremacy of God and the rule of law, and it is left undefined as it now stands. And when we say the amending, the supremacy of God and the rule of law derived by the will of the people, that's a formulation of the Latin dictum. Vox populi, vox dei. The voice of the people is the voice of God. So you see, it makes a complete connection. The supremacy of God and the rule of law by derived by the will of people. The mm. people, when they speak to a, a religious person, it is the voice of God speaking. Yes, absolutely. And, and the whole circle is completed. It is, you know, there is no longer any room for ambiguity. It is the ambiguity. I mean, you, you pointed out, and that's, that's what um, Brian Peckford said in Ottawa on February 12th, 2022, that I was there. Section one was not to override a situation where you have a virus and a recovery of over 99% of the people and, and with 1%, you know, problem. Uh, that was no threat to the state. The section one was to be used for uh, war and insurrection and a threat to the state. Okay. Right. So my question to Mr. Peckford is, Mr. Peckford, you didn't put those things into the section one. You right. didn't limit the section, the limitation clause to those limits. Right. And you therefore, for interpretation and, and application by the government. That's why you, you, you talk about reasonable limits. And and in 2022, April 2022, that is uh, um, two months after the Emergencies Act, the former Chief Justice of Canada, Beverly McLaughlin, wrote in the Globe and Mail, what does this freedom convoy want? There is no absolute freedom. Freedom will be defined by the government. This is the former Chief Justice of Canada speaking. And then the current Chief Justice of Canada, Richard Wagner said the Freedom Convoy was an assault on the government of Canada, on the institution of Canada. Nobody went to Ottawa to make an assault. Right. Ottawa is the capital of Canada. And every Canadian have the right to go to Ottawa to seek their redress. I mean, Americans, they gather in Washington. Mm -hmm. They march in Washington. Martin Luther King gave the famous speech in 1963, I have a dream in the mall in Washington where over a million people came. The Vietnam War protest movements was in Washington at the mall. So what is the complaint of the parliamentarians who we the people through our hard earned and, and, and yeah, we are sending you to Ottawa and you are complaining that we are coming to Ottawa to ask you why you are doing what you are doing? Exactly. <clears throat> you know, the, 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 
I think, I believe, I would like, I would like people to find out if there's a hole and to let us know so that we can fix the hole in the argument. But at this point in time, I feel very confident that there is no hole. Absolutely. 100%. Um, yeah. Thank you very much, Salim. I think we're going to cut it off here now. I'm, yeah. I'm, at, I'm at two hours, but uh, fantastic stream. Uh, we're going to talk about more about this uh, as we move along sure. in, in preparation for uh, embarking on a tour that we have to do. Absolutely, my friend. We are all, it is not you, me, or Brian, or anyone. We are all, we all 33, 36 million people. We are all soldiers for freedom and sovereignty. Absolutely. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. And good God night. Bless. God bless you too. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right. So there's another round with Salim. He was on fire tonight. Uh, again, I always refer to him as our national treasure because he is. Um, yeah, we're heading in the right direction. But we're going to need a lot of support. So if you're in Saskatchewan and you want to see this come to fruition, and you want to help make a difference, you want to make history, make sure you get to the Buffalo Party um, annual general meeting in Humboldt, April 1st and 2nd. Details are on our website. <laughs> Buffalo Party of Saskatchewan. Just Google it, and you'll see the website come up. Um, I'd love to see a lot of you there and, and just by voting, becoming a member of the Buffalo party and voting on this, you're making history because this has never been done in our country. Nobody has ever taken on the task of informing and inspiring the people and giving them a mechanism to get the power back where that they should have always had in a in the form of a constitution that reflects and is derived by the will of the people it's enormous it's huge if you want to be part of history get yourself a membership of the buffalo party if you're in saskatchewan or if you're in alberta join the independence party of alberta and uh become part of this historic beginning um to all of this. Thanks to each and every one of you. I love each and every one of you. Um, globalism bad, nationalism good. All right, ciao for now. Oh, and make sure you share the declaration. Make sure you uh, download it. Give it to your neighbors, friends, co-workers, uh, family, whatever. Um, make sure it gets spread around. Inspire people, excite people, encourage people that there is a, a different way of, of doing business in this country. And we're going to put the power back in the hands of the people. Uh, and also have a read of that blog that I, I pointed out earlier. Uh, ffcs.info it's on the bottom of the screen uh, check it out all right ciao